0: Hey hey hey! It's time, time for joking, and i want to sing a song for you. Damn, Chris gonna show you a thing or two.
1: coming at you with music and fun,
0: and if you're not careful, you might learn something before it's done. Hello, and welcome to the super bonus episode of Dopey, a podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I have a confession to make. It's really weird. I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but very often the show will have this weird sound quality to the the recordings of me or me with somebody in person. There'll be this weird clicky sound at the bottom, this weird sound, right? And it drove me insane, this sound, And uh, I would try different mics and I would try different cables. I'm letting you guys in to the inside because this is the $10 Patreon fucking bonus shit. So I figure you guys are entitled to some of this information. And uh, I was very frustrated. So I kept getting new cables and switching out mics and nothing, I could not solve the problem. Nothing that I I, I attempted was consistent. A mic would work and then fail. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to use headphones and listen to it as I record, which any professional would assume I'm always doing that, which I never did, and and I always didn't do that, you know. Which so anyway, ever, since then I've been using headphones every time, and there's been no clicking sound, and the headphones cannot make a difference in the clickiness, and yet I don't know what that means, you know. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. Lots of people in recovery don't believe in coincidence, but I do. I do believe in coincidence, and I would say it's probably just a coincidence, but it is awesome. What an awesome technological breakthrough I've made. Anyway, yeah, to use headphones while recording my voice, I, I think I'm the first one in history that came up with this incredible technique. But we have a very special bonus episode. There is a guy in my life uh, who I went to high school with, I met him probably in ninth grade, and he was around a lot of my drug taking uh, until I was, I don't know, 26, 25. And this is is me and my old friend John going down a sort of dopey version of memory lane. And before I even uh, play it, I want you guys to know that John is not in recovery, and he is a recreational drug user and drinker. Uh, who's you know ebbed and flowed in his use, but enough preamble. Here is the show. Hello, and welcome to Dopey the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and it's a very It's a treat today. The very strange thing, I have a friend of mine that we've been friends since when? When do you when do you remember us meeting? I don't
1: remember exactly when we met. It must have been in seventh grade, though, and I feel like our friendship got
0: cemented uh, more like ninth grade. You gotta lean closer to the mic, though. Let's hear. Let's hear. You you wear this, and you'll you'll know exactly what you sound like. Um, His name is John. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Isn't this exciting? Word. So, fucking, before we get into the great hit, I want to say his last name so bad because I'm not going to, but that's how it rolls off my tongue, is to say both of your names. So, just to say John. John J-O-N. Yes, that's it. All right. Now, before we get into it, there's big dopey news. Are you interested in the big dopey news? Sure. Big dopey news. (laughs) In the past three months, we we have a treatment scholarship called the Tootles for Chris Scholarship. And we've been sending a bunch of drug addicts to free treatment. That's great. Very commendable stuff. So uh, there's a guy, his name is Justin Cambria, and he is in charge of the Tootles for Chris Foundation, But of course it's not really a foundation But it is a program that places addicts into free treatment And we placed two people in the past three weeks Sarah, who's a Xanax addict, is now in Lakeview Recovery in Jacksonville, Florida And Jason uh, is in Detox at Liberty Bay in Portland, Maine Are you, are you blown away? That's great, I, I'm glad to hear your show's doing Something good, something Work Anything Right? Something. (laughs) It's better than nothing.
1: It's better than you being dead. And um, along with other people, I I, I and we both have known, and me hanging out with Jim or Robbie
0: and being like, remember, Davey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people used to post on Facebook like they thought I was going to die. You thought I was going to die.
1: I don't know for a fact you were going to die. And back then most of my friends who have died because of drugs or alcohol didn't die when they were in their 20s. It was more like it caught up with... It wasn't that they died of an overdose when they were 25. It was that shit caught up with them when they were in their 30s or 40s. Unhealthy living caught up with them. And uh, so, but, like, yeah, if I'd gotten... I mean, I didn't see you from 2003 until 2013. When did your mother die? Like, um...
0: She died in, uh, oh, my God, when did she die? She died in 2008.
1: Okay, so the time I came here and saw you was maybe like 20. So between 20, 2003 and whenever we caught up again, 2009, 2010. And then even then, I saw you that one time. Until, you saw, until I saw you again three years ago, I always
0: thought. What's he doing? And you
1: did get dirty again in that, in that interim, right? Yeah. I
0: always thought, I hope David man, I hope, I hope he's doing all right. You just said my last name. Oh, shit, sorry. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say your last name, but you're just coming out with my last name.
1: <laughs> well, everybody already knows your last
0: name. No, they don't. And anyway, continue. <laughs> um,
1: I used to say, I mean, you were one of... There's there's still other people I know who I'm like, if I hear through the grapevine tomorrow that they died, I won't be
0: surprised. And I was one of them. I was on the top of the you're list. You're one of
1: the ones who I would have cried.
0: That's nice. Yeah. Now, when we met, I in my memory... You know, I didn't have it like this, but you know, in uh, what's the movie with uh, Phoebe Cates? When uh, Sean Penn? What's the movie? Uh, oh, is that uh, Fast was, Times at Ridgemont High? Yeah. You were like the punk rock version of Damone, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I never placed it until recently, and I saw it because when I met John, I, I was like in my imagination. John was this punk rock kid like with zippers and weird places on his clothes and he's right now he's wearing a subhuman shirt which he probably wore then. Um and I and I fell out, in my memory I and I'm very like I don't know I was kind of was I, what, what, I was just like whatever. I was a normal normal Jewish kid in Manhattan night, right? When we were kids.
1: You were you were always a very um charismatic, outgoing, funny kid, but you were essentially you you were not an alternative kid at all.
0: No, yeah, I was just like whatever. I was like you almost a square, but yeah, you weren't. Yeah, I was just whatever. But I, in my memory, I like fall out of a social studies class in ninth grade, and you're standing there leaning against the the wall with a trench coat and like shit in your pockets, and you're like, I can get you records. <laughs> you're like, you're like, what what kind of record would you like me to get? And I and I was like, well, I think I like David Bowie. You're like, there's a new David Bowie box set. Maybe I could get you that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, and then like the next day, you're like. Here you go. And it was like it was a box set with three cassettes. The David Bowie Sound and Vision cassette uh, box set.
1: Thank, thanks, thanks to the professor's son.
0: Right. Well, that's a whole other thing. Um, now, you were also infamous in our high school for drinking in the morning. You hung out with a crew, the br- in, in my imagination at least, the brew crew. Didn't you guys like would meet and drink in the morning at school?
1: Well, lunch. I think it was like eleven ten to twelve fifteen a.m. or like so. Maybe sometimes, but no. I was never, never in my life have I been a morning drinker, especially not in high school. Hell, no.
0: So that was just a mythology of the crew. What about the crew? Did that That's crew drink thought. early?
1: You know, the funny thing is, I remember the few times that I got accused of being high in during a school day. Like there was only twice that they. Busted me and they were like We have you both times I was sober I was like I'm stoned every Afternoon but you think I'm high At second period no I don't get high till lunchtime
0: I don't think, that's funny I don't think I ever asked you When was the first time you got high? I don't think I know I don't know the origin What I know about John is His parents were crazy Christians Which you probably told me When you asked me if I wanted to buy The David Bowie box You're like, by the way My parents are crazy Christians (laughs) Because you talked about that all the time
1: Well, I wasn't afraid Well, that was a thing Growing up in suburban Queens And going to my local school And then, like, until I, I started Hunter When I, you know I was 12 years old, going on 13. So coming to seventh grade... Um, in Manhattan. In Manhattan, meeting kids who were whose parents were liberal or whose parents were actually even, like, hippies or actually smoked pot, even, you know, like, was uh, mind-blowing to me. And I went from being, like, Jesus loves me, yes, I know, for the Bible told me so, to, like, sex pistols and... And you know, how did it happen? I don't know all the origin. I,
0: I don't know the origin. How did it happen? Like, when did you change? It was all in,
1: during seventh grade. And
0: then I kind of had
1: a period of like mellowing out because I, went, I got in some trouble in seventh grade. And so, eighth grade, I kind of what happened better. But then in, by ninth grade, it was like all bets were off.
0: What happened
1: though? Well, I was rebelling against my parents. And to a certain extent, I feel, I feel there's a lot of things I don't feel bad for doing. But now, as like a you know a forty seven year old, I'm sometimes I'm embarrassed. I'm like, why did I do that to my parents? I didn't need to put them through that much trouble. Um, but uh, some of the things, and some of the things, we're, we're actually able to laugh about. I'm like, remember the time I did this? Like I, what? I, I've con- like I've confessed to my parents that there were times. My parents found it was more like later in high school. My parents found a bomb, and my parents actually knew so little, being. They grew up in Brooklyn, but they were really square Christians. My mother's father was a preacher. So my parents did not know the difference between the smell of marijuana and the smell of tobacco. Now, this will probably sound crazy to young listeners, but even to my conservative parents, if I had a friend, even when I'm in high school, a friend who smokes cigarettes, that's to be looked down on, and they should be discouraged from smoking. But if if, if we smelled like weed... And I was like, oh, yeah, um, friend X. And I'm not anatom- anatomizing anyone. I'm just being like Joe, Whoever, Ball, yeah. Joe Blow. I went outside with him while he smoked a cigarette. And my mother would be like, oh, it's too bad he has to smoke cigarettes.
0: But and she was okay. Then she was okay with the fact that we'd been
1: outside smoking a
0: joint. So you explained to her that the bong was used for tobacco.
1: My mother found it, and I was not home. It was like a weekend, and I was not home and no cell phones back then. But I um, called in my sister. My older sister was a guidance counselor at a junior high school and had gone to our, had gone to our high school. So my, the teachers actually knew to call my sister for a lot of things. Or at least by the time I was in, like, 10th grade, she was finished college and she was a guidance counselor. So they knew to call her to get actual, like, useful... Information. Information, and because I would tell her all the truth, and she would tell my parents what she thought they needed to know. And she'd tell me what she really thought. And she was like, eh, you're 15, 16, you're smoking pot, you're drinking, be careful, don't do don't do do not hard drugs, you know? And she also was smart enough to realize that punishing, and, you know, would have... If my parents had cracked down really hard... It would have gone much worse. Exactly. So, like, my sister, in a lot of ways, saved my wife, life. But what I was just saying about, um, um... Oh, so, like, they found this bong, and I was away at a friend's house, and I... I I think if I was away at friends' houses for weekends, I would call home once a day. And I, but I think my mother, had my sister had the number of my friend's place. And she called and she was like, when you come home tomorrow, be careful, like be in for a load of shit. Mom and dad found your bong. They called me last night, freaked out that they had found a crack pipe, even though it was like a big water They just found a crazy looking thing that they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And she was like, she was worried. She was like, oh my God, is John smoking crack? And my sister got to their house and was like, "Um, that's a...
0: That's a ritual tobacco pipe. No, they said it was for marijuana.
1: My sister sister couldn't cover me up that much. She was like, that's a water pipe used for marijuana. It's called a bong. And so they were mad and they like, you know, like grounded me for six months, but I was just... I was the youngest. I got off really easy. I was also, like, tall, and my parents were in their, like, late 40s by the time I was a teenager. So I remember, like, being grounded and just, like, leaving. And I would just, like, go get on the subway and not come back till...
0: So you would ignore the grounding. But what I want to know is this. You were a... Like, everybody that went to our high school was really smart, you know, except for the kids that went to the elementary school, of which I was <laughs> one of them. But everybody who came in had to be really smart. So I'm just sitting here kind of realizing something that I had never known about you. You were this very conservative Christian kid. You became the most, basically, one of the three most punk rock people I ever knew in high school, probably. You, uh, Dan Obergun, and uh, I don't know. Carlo? Sasha. Who knows? Well, or, Sasha. Sasha. Right. Sasha, uh, who called me up,
1: who, who I saw him again just a few years ago, one of his book readings for the first time in years, and he was really glad to see me when he talked. And he was like, Man, it's so good to see you. Man, I, have, I like, you were like he, like, he said, You were the coolest poser I ever knew.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> and
1: compared to him, I was a poser.
0: Well, he, he's coming on. He said he's coming on oh, the show. He he's Great. coming on. Great. But um, so I want to know, when did you go from being conservative, Christian, nerd, Queens kid to punk rocker, poser extraordinaire? How oh, did it happen? All, all seventh grade. But what was the influence? How did it happen? Like, I listened to, like, what was on the radio, and maybe I liked rap music because I, I watched MTV. Like, how did you get to punk rock? I don't remember who first played me punk rock. Uh,
1: I know I was getting into rock, and I liked... Like I started listening to classic rock and then I discovered like uh, Jimmy and that's when I discovered like druggy type music and then I just like looking at the... And then I
0: You don't even remember.
1: It was like... Then I heard the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and the Clash and I was like, this is great. And...
0: And the style
1: you, you were drawn to. And I was, draw, I was drawn to the anti-religious thing. Big time. So when I heard like uh, Public Image Limited doing anti-religious stuff and then Crass Conflict, the British anarchist stuff that most people still don't know. Do you remember Crass?
0: I remember the emblem on the back of Dan's jacket. Yeah, and... um, I never listened to them. I just knew who they were from the symbol.
1: Oh, their first album is like a... is amazing. I actually still play it for people occasionally. I still have the vinyl. It's... um, Actually posted it on Instagram the vinyl because it was like this gatefold with a picture of a of a dead body from World War One hanging a hand hanging over a a uh, barbed wire fence and it's and uh, like it looks like the finger pointing saying we want you and it says your country needs you to serve or something but um, those guys those guys like sex and those guys called the Sex Pistols and the Clash posers because they were because those guys were like radical anarchist vegan activists who were, like, planting farms in, like, urban London and, like, trying to do the back-to-the-farm thing in 1970... vegan back-to-the-farm thing in 1975 London. Right. So those guys are really, like... I still admire that kind of thing.
0: You were drawn to that stuff, too, the political aspect of it all.
1: Yeah, and I got into that. And that's what... Well, when you have Sasha on, that's his... That's what he's made a life out of, which is amazing. And I still am a political activist. I've made documentaries about immigration issues. I find that stuff important. I believe in environmentalism. All right, I, just take
0: uh, it easy. This is no fucking... Okay. Come on. This is not some cause show. Yeah, I'm no vegan. That, that, I, he just had Popeyes outside. It's clearly not a vegan. <laughs> I'm no vegetarian. Um, but what I, when's the first time uh, you smoked weed? Do you remember oh, that? I, so that had nothing to do with Hunter, actually. That, um, that
1: was because uh, there were these Guido kids across the street from me in Queens. I moved to a new... Uh, When I was 12, I didn't just change schools, but I moved to a different neighborhood in Queens. So I was, that kind of, that probably had a lot to do with the radical change in my life because not only was I uprooted from my little elementary school I used to walk walk to and my little neighborhood where I knew everybody on the block and everybody knew everybody, I went to living in a much larger neighborhood um, where I didn't know people. I had to get to know these kids who lived across the street who were total guidos And who were two and four years older than me. So if I was 12, they were 14. And they gave me... I was riding around in a car in Whitestone, Queens, with a kid who was old enough to drive, and I'm 12. And my friend, who's 14, right, is like... They're like, you ever smoke pot? And I had drank already, which I did with a friend from our school, um, Sean from Staten Island. Sure. And... um,
0: I'd love to catch up with he doesn't come to reunions. He Didn't he come to the last one? I, yes, he did. He was at the last one. He was here before the last one with Ricky. I guess that
1: maybe I didn't see Sean.
0: You, pro- you were wasted at that thing. But I continue. did get
1: too drunk with, with Liz <laughs> before that thing. Continue. Um, too bad we won't get to have a 30. Oh, well, no, that's next year. We'll have it. I'm not getting to have a 30 college, 25 college this year. But yeah, we'll
0: have a I never went to a college reunion, oh. but... My school was weird. Anyway, I want to know your first experience drinking and smoking weed. So this was not
1: smoking weed. I'll I'll finish smoking weed. So we're driving around, and uh, these guys like to go to a very famous boulevard, Francis Lewis Boulevard, where now at this time we're we're talking about 1986, where kids used to race cars. And these guys didn't have a car they raced, but they were just more like in awe of the 18-year-olds and 21-year-olds who would soup up their Camaros and race them.
0: Si Guido salad days, right?
1: Yes. And I was like, I didn't like this, but it was what I was doing. And I was like, I don't know. I was I was like a little bit scared of these kids. But they were like, you want to smoke some marijuana? And I knew I wanted to smoke marijuana. I was like, yeah, that's what like I've like I've been listening to Jimi Hendrix, and I think that's what I have to do to get experienced. And um I smoked it and at first and I had tried a cigarette and been like uh, uh. and I've never been a cigarette smoker ever since then. And, um, um, so I smoked it and I, I drank and i loved. I liked drinking and I did it. And I was like, they were like, you feel it? And I was like, no. And they were, and somebody said, and I've heard this many times since the first time you smoke weed, you don't feel anything. And I was like, like no, I don't feel anything. And then five minutes later we were driving and we stopped at like a red light and there was a McDonald's. And I was, I was like, Hey, can we, let's go get something off the dollar menu And I had just eaten like dinner before we'd gone out or something. And the older kid, when he was driving, started laughing. Right. And he was like, Oh shit, yeah, you don't feel anything. You got the munchies now, kid. And I was like, The munchies? And everybody laughed. And I was like, The munchies, what's that?
0: (laughs) Well, another thing about you that I remember very well was like, you were really into New York City nightlife. Like, you went to shows all the time. Like, you 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 went to shows more than probably anyone I know. Uh, how did that start? I
1: liked music. I um, saw it as, like, counterculture music is definitely what pulled me into counterculture. Like I said, it was listening to Jimmy that got interested in me into punk rock, and that tale dovetailed into marijuana and politics, et cetera. Um, so... I like to see bands. It was also a reason, it was actually a good reason to have to stay at friends'
0: places. And in, to stay out of happened. Queen, stay out of your parents' house. Yes. Come to think of it, that's I'm
1: just thinking of that now kind of. But um music. You would go to shows
0: constantly. Oh,
1: WNYU, the ticket giveaways. So the professor's son was WNYU is college radio station they give away a lot of tickets they still do i still actually listen to them sometimes i their show their show schedule is pretty much the same like 30 whatever years later and um if i'm driving around i like to listen to the car radio it's the only time i listen to like broadcast radio is when i'm driving which is not often but i don't like listen to cds i listen to like the radio and um it was really easy it it was nobody not listens too hard to, to win CDs tickets. now
0: either. Everyone's listening to their Spotify, John. You're an, you're a man in the past.
1: Nobody's my, listening to CDs. My car's an 04, it has a CD player and uh if I if I'm driving long distance, I'm just as likely to put my jam box and listen to yeah, listen to something off my phone. Okay. But um it was not too hard to win the concert tickets on WNYU and we would and I had the I had the number on speed dial and I had two other friends who we listened regularly and when we knew there was a concert coming up that we wanted to go to we'd be like okay we gotta we gotta listen every day and the, between the three of us would be like two of us have to listen every day so we have two of us dialing in and if one of us couldn't be listening we had an agreement if you won something and the other
0: if Who all, are these kids in we the thing
1: with you? Dave and Dave the professor's son and uh, the other punk rock Dave Ah Okay
0: um, He can't say his last name can't say his he word has word. another name, though, right now. He has another Facebook alias.
1: Yeah, Telios. Okay. So we'll stick with Telios. Okay. And if he's mad about that, well, He'll be you'll have to bleep all that out. That's fine. Um, he. Um, Just
0: say, Dave. I, that's fine.
1: If there was a concert that all three of us wanted to go to and we won a, a pair of tickets and only a pair of tickets, then we would chip in and buy one ticket and each pay a third of a ticket. So
0: what shows would you go to see?
1: Man, I went to, we went to things that we didn't even hardly know what they were. Just for fun. But, like, things that we went to, uh, like, seeing the Ramones at the Ritz for free. Like, actually, we, we would win tickets. I would ask kids about concerts that I knew they wanted to go to that were coming up. I'd win tickets. I'd be like, hey, I'll sell you tickets half price for this show. You're like
0: Demone, I'm telling you. It's a total... That's the Demone from... Right, yeah. right. Thank you. So, but, like, it was... I had...
1: We were at the point where the the, the, the college kids at WNYU who would answer the station would be like, is this, is this John... Da-da-da D- again? I'd be like, no, and I put on a <laughs> funny voice. Me and all three of my fr- my other two friends had calendars with dates of concerts we wanted that, to get tickets for that were coming up, tickets that the dates of uh, concerts that we already had tickets for, the names that we had won them under because we'd have to show up. We had
0: to get, need aliases.
1: We had to get some fake IDs to show up at the club and claim the ticket. Because, because they had a rule that you were only allowed to win once, once a month. I think there were days we won, the, the three of us would get the majority of the tickets that NYU would give away.
0: And we were selling them and stuff. It was, um, yeah. Can you think of any other shows you saw, like back then, that would impress people now? I mean, God,
1: what did, the other day somebody was talking about Pantera. And I was like, yeah, I saw them after uh, their first album. I'm sure you saw everything.
0: Street. I mean, like that you have had to have seen everything. Like I remember any kind of like Echo and the Bunny Men or Susie and the Banshees or whoever was in town. Like you would go see every show. Not that they were necessarily around.
1: What's, well, you know what's funny is Susie and the Banshees I liked and I did see Echo and the Bunny I never particularly cared for, but I think I saw the singer's solo act just because I had free tickets, and. um yeah, I would go to some things that I didn't give a shit about, and I went to things that were amazing. Who was to, somebody, somebody who was in their 30s was talking about the Melvins the other day. And I was like, oh, I saw the Melvins once, and they were like, oh, yeah. And I was like, I saw them. At, it was I think it was when I was in college. I was like, I saw them at CBGB. That was like the loudest fucking concert I've ever been to. And they were like, you went to CBs? I was like, more times than I can count. They were like, you saw the Melvins at CBs? This is like... 47 year old me and like a 37 year old. Right, right. Like last week. And I'm like, yeah, it was dope. I've never been a particularly big Melvins fan. If the Melvins played today, I definitely would not
0: pay for tickets. We played a show at CBGB's, the Percolators, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, and I, we were, you know, I, John was a big ska fan and I joined a ska band and, uh, and we played shows all over the place. And we played, there were like five New York City bands and we would play. All the time, like once a month or three times a month or whatever, and we played at CBGB's one time. And like again, I was not like skinhead styled out. I was like wearing a flannel shirt, and I had a I had bought a fitted Minnesota Golden Gophers hat that I thought was cool. I don't know why. I think what it was golden an M. Gophers. I don't know. I just thought the hat was cool. It was like burgundy with a yellow M. I was like Is that's that some kind of team. I guess, I, I went, like, all of all of the my friends, like, were interested in getting cool-looking hats, so they would go to Cosby at uh, Madison Square Garden and pick out, like, cool-fitted hats, and I was like, one time I went, and I bought a Minnesota Golden Gophers hat, and we play the show at CBGB's, and then, like, maybe Mephiscopheles played after us or something, and I'm dancing in the crowd, and I, like, bump into some skinhead the wrong way, and he's like, I'm, I want to kill you or something. And I was like, and I was terrified. And I was like, get your friends and I'll get my friends and we'll meet outside. And then they're like, fine. And I ran, they found my friends. I was like, we got to go. <laughs> we got to get the fuck out of here. Um, when did you start uh, with acid?
1: I tried acid when I was 13.
0: How did that happen? That happened because
1: a friend of mine who was a year older than me, who was a big hippie who, um, unfortunately, is no longer with us as well.
0: Um, you don't want to say his name.
1: Um, I'll just call him C. Okay. He died when he was 30 or 31. He was...
0: He was in my band. He was in the Percolators.
1: He was in the Percolators? He was the bass player. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't, you know, I only saw the Percolators a couple of
0: times. No, we weren't that good. You for some reason. You, did, you didn't miss that much.
1: You guys were on the cover of the New York Times weekend section. Were we? There was a picture of you guys. I was... I. I don't think that's true. Is that true? It was, and I showed it to at, at my college. I showed it to everybody, and I like used to get the the weekend Friday, Saturday, Sunday New York Times, and I opened it up in the dining hall, and I was like, "What?"
0: And I was like showing some of my friends. That's cool, but no. Carlo was the bass player. He would wear he would wear a checkerboard cape. Oh, fuck, <laughs> he was the bass player. He wore a checkerboard cape when we played. Um, but so you're with him and his mother, where did he get the acid? What was the story?
1: I don't know where he got the acid.
0: He lived, just so everyone knows, he lived on Roosevelt Island. And it's funny because I would go to parties out there too. And they were like wild parties and everyone would do drugs or smoke pot. And, um, and I remember thinking how much Roosevelt Island reminded me of a Clockwork Orange but I only knew what that was like because I went to a party at your house where everyone was doing all sorts of drugs. And at the end of the party, everyone watched the Clockwork Orange on your back porch. And I was like, this is very disturbing. I was like, this is too disturbing for me. Were and we, Were we tripping or just stoned, stoned? I think, I don't know, I wasn't tripping. I think yeah. I wasn't tripping. Okay. Um, I don't think I was stoned either. I think I was like not even... On anything. I don't even know. Or you drank a little. I don't even think I drank a little. I don't think I did anything. And I was like, this movie's very frightening. It is. And um, and I went to Carlos and fucking hell. Why can't I say, can I say it or I can't say it? Well, it's too late now. Try to keep saying C and censor Okay, it. And, and I was like, holy shit, Roosevelt Island looks like that. But his life was just like Jim's life in that, like, did like hippie parents? You know what I mean. In a hippie style house, he gave me the funkadelic funkadelic record. Uh, he said, "Listen to this," and I kept it. I didn't listen to it for years, and uh and it changed my life when I finally did. When when did you finally listen to it? Years later, I think I, I college. I, yeah, I think I got it from him in like 1990, mm-hmm. and I listened to it for the first time in like 1993. I just had it with the eyeballs and the circle, the funkadelic yeah, funkadelic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but tell me about the first time you did acid.
1: So, and by the way, I just want to say you're talking about my house, his house, all kinds of drugs. In our high school was essentially a good school. There was no, hardly any hard drug use going on. I never tried any hard drugs until I was in my mid 20s. And parties at his house growing up and at my house, seriously there was no
0: I think the hardest drug that that, went
1: around was LSD. But I
0: think that's interesting in general that LSD isn't considered a hard drug. You know what it should be? It's yes, it's it's, very different than mushrooms. (laughs) But it's just it's it's like it's funny that it's not considered a hard drug, but it's such a strong drug. It's it really hits you very hard. So you're 13, lay it down.
1: I'm 13. Well, we we planned it in advance. He was like, "You want to try acid?" And I was like, "Yeah." Had he done it? Yeah, he'd already done it. So he was 14, and I think at this point I was in eighth. Maybe it was even the beginning of ninth grade when you turned 14. I don't know. Around then. But um, he was like, oh, you got to watch
0: The Wall. And I
1: heard watch The Wall, and I liked Pink Floyd. And um, we uh, we got some acid, and I think like, because it was my first time, I only took like a half a hit. And we watched the wall, and his mother knew exactly what we were doing. We watched it in, like, the afternoon on a weekend or on a Friday or something. And, um, like, she gave us some grass because she knew that helped keep you mellow when you're... And I just remember that it was... It was great. Parts of the wall that are a little freaky freaked me out a little bit. But that guy, I love that guy. It makes me sad when I think about the fact that he's gone. Because I just remember him being, like, the perfect person... Like the person, big brother, perfect big brother person to be like, hey, man, it's okay. Like, you know, and then like even like kind of talk my mind, understanding some of the socio political ramifications of the things going on in the wall was a little difficult. And uh, him kind of helping me think things through, like pausing the movie.
0: And, and giving you like too. a little lesson on, on like what it's about fascism And this and That's that That's about
1: World War I Blah, blah, yeah, yeah, yeah. blah, blah Oh, oh okay, let's smoke another bong You know, yeah, and yeah. we smoke a bong And then his mother stick her head in Like after an hour And be like, you boys doing okay? Yep, you want any food? Nope, we're tripping We're like, okay And then I just remember that his um, Eventually, the movie was over And of course we were still tripping and, uh, Which is, what sucks about acid I haven't done acid since I was 21 Wow well, I never yeah. will again I ate mushrooms just two months ago How months was ago. it? And uh, the mushrooms two months ago. It's great. I I have I like to trip at least once a year or every couple. If I go a couple years without it, I'm like, what the fuck, and I have to find some.
0: I forgot but, that John's not in recovery. I yes, didn't say that. I'm
1: not in recovery. Um, I never had a hard drug problem. So, but, but
0: maybe you alcohol was a problem. Them. Alcohol could. alcohol was a problem. Yeah,
1: but I still drink, and it's not a problem anymore. So,
0: well, it's going well.
1: It's, it's going, going well. well. You could say my marijuana use is a problem. Is it a problem now? It's definitely no huge problem, but marijuana is rarely a huge problem. Right. But it is demotivating. So in that way, it's, it's a problem.
0: An interesting thing, because, like, there's been a lot of, obviously, I've told, I'm like a fucking washcloth, like, that's been wrung out of every drug story, because I've been making the show for almost six years. And, like, there's a lot of stories that I've told that, are, that you're, like, very much a part of. And one of my favorite ones, it was the second time I tripped. The first time I tripped, I tripped with Devin and we went to see The Grateful Dead. And I didn't even like, you know, know anything about The Grateful Dead or anything. And we like bought blot like white blotter off some dude and wandered around. And then we, we hung out at FIT like watching dogs walk around. And um, but then the second time I tripped, Jim was having a party and you were going to some show downtown and you had a ton of acid, and you were like, Davey, I'm gonna give you a sheet of acid. I'm gonna give you one dose. You sell the acid and give me the money. And I was like, that sounds like a good deal to me. And, um, and I took the acid, and, I, and, I, and Jim had this huge party, and you, you like missed the party, you like went to some show downtown. And, um, and I, 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 where did you buy, get a sheet of acid from in 1990?
1: From, my, from the girl, uh, the first girl I stole from you.
0: You who, didn't steal her. Who went to her. Berkeley. You did not steal her from me. By any means You make fun of me sometimes And you refer to it that way No, No, John By any means John has gone out with Many women that I've been with (laughs) After me And it always makes me crazy But the first one Was like The first one Was she was a year older than us I
1: really only thought there was one But then you reminded me That this first one we're talking about Was after
0: you There's three At least Anyway The first one Was one of the greatest things That ever happened to me Because she had this crush on me and she bought me the Sugar Cubes record and she bought me a book and she like pursued me. It was like the great it was the greatest thing, you know, it's just the, anyway, she got you the sheet of acid. That's so funny. If I had a
1: sheet of acid, then it had to have been when we were it had to have been when we were seniors.
0: No, we were like juniors, I think. Because Maybe we were She seniors. was in college at a West Coast school where there were a lot of you already said students. Berkeley anyway. Yeah, she went
1: to Berkeley and she knew. I feel like, like there's a boulevard in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to say the name. Chem- I before, chemistry majors at Berkeley, make acid and sell it. And she used to mail them to me and then I would sell them. And um I'd give her like I remember that she paid like $50. I'd give her a hundred for a hundred hits, and then I'd sell them for five dollars each. And you gave or me two dollars. And you my- gave
0: me a dose. <laughs>
1: mean um, oh, nice. I probably give I hope I give you more. I usually charge my friends two dollars or five. I
0: think you might have nice. given me like a strip, and I probably tripped you, out and yeah. I tripped out and I remember I'm Dan probably. Ross came up to me at that party, and he's like, "Are you freaking out? Are you freaking out and that was the one time in my life that i 've ever punched somebody in the face and I punched him in the face and uh and he went down and then I was like bugging out and I went down it was cold out and I remember I went downstairs. And I'm sitting on 99th and West End, freezing, like, bugging out. And then in the distance, I see you coming. Your hair is dyed red. You look like the devil. You're wearing, like, this plaid jacket. Like, because you always wore those, like, uh, thrift store blazers. And you're coming. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. It's the guy who gave me the acid, (laughs) you know? And it was scary. And, And I had the money, though. You know what I mean? I had sold all the doses, and I'm like... Here's your money. Um, but isn't that funny? Like, isn't that such a weird thing?
1: You know, in the episodes I've been listening to, I heard you tell this story. Like, when Chris was alive five years ago or something, you told this story, and I was like, that was me. It's
0: true. And, so uh, true.
1: But you weren't, like, afraid of me. No, right? I
0: think I was afraid of you because I was tripping. tripping. Yeah. And you were, like, dyed hair, and, like, it was just, like, a real the moment. Devil. I was like, holy. I didn't really think you were the devil or anything yeah. like that. I just think it was, like, a psychedelically charged moment in New York City, um, and then the other thing—punched punch Dan Ross. But did that would—did he want to fight you, or no, you were well, tripping and he yeah, felt bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did Dan, you really hurt him? No, I please. No, I don't think I've ever hurt anybody. Dan Ross was a little kid on my uh, on my school bus. Like me and him, like he was in Karoon. Like, yeah, that was two years that, that was our whole little school bus when we were little kids. So no, he never got upset. Me and him were always always good. But um, the last time I saw Dan Ross was when I was in,
1: I went to a college an hour away from his and I went to sell him some weed because he I'd seen him in New York and he knew I was selling weed at my college and then I started selling weed to some guys who lived across the hall from him but he was taking college very seriously and he smoked a little bit of weed once in a while. So at one point I went to visit and I like got drunk and didn't want to drive an hour back to my college and I was like, hey man, I can crash on, like, your dorm common room, right? And he was like, he got really mad at me, and I think he let me sleep there. But he was like, he didn't want anything to do with somebody who was coming from another college to sell weed on his campus. That's weird. That doesn't sound like him. Maybe I don't know him very well. Maybe he he saw me as somebody who was a little out of control. I mean, this is 1995 or 6,
0: Right. Right. So, uh, but he sense. was a punk rock kid, too. He was, but then by the time he was in college... He had gotten his shit together. I think he's a chef it someplace. A, that's
1: what I've heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can find out easily, but if he hears this, well... He's not gonna, Well, Dan, I don't blame you for giving me the cold shoulder when I was some crazy senior going to a college an hour away from the college you went to while you were a sophomore when I was coming to try to sell weed on your campus.
0: Well, I'm sure you went to many a campus to sell weed. You went to many a campus to sell weed, probably acid mushrooms but the other thing that i connect you to is you always had hash like i can rem- like i remember you would you'd have chunks of hash wrapped in aluminum foil where did those come from
1: there was a t- i didn't always have hash by any means i remember more than
0: anyone else i had it like occasionally
1: where the hell did the hash come from i don't remember isn't that funny that
0: that's is- my memory it's yeah, like, and
1: now I'm, rem- now I'm remembering the times I had hash. I remember the first time I tried hash was when I was 16 and I went to London with my girlfriend. And we lied to our parents that the parents of the other one were escorting us. And That was the
0: same girl that you went out with after me. Yes. And you went to the Reading Music Festival.
1: I went to the Reading Music Festival. And it was amazing. And I remember that I was there. We were there for 10 days. Just
0: Dopey Nation, just I want to make it clear. John did not steal this girl from me. Didn't happen like that. But Continue. <laughs> And, um, Do you remember you stealing her from me? No, but just when we talked... The other I'm just making
1: things, sure. There was another girl who you felt like I stole from you at the time.
0: No, the other girl was like my high school sweetheart.
1: Who I actually felt bad. The, the first one we're talking about with the J, I, don't, I never felt bad. And you weren't angry at me about. The second one, the senior year, I felt bad about dating. But I was like, they've been broken up for more than six
0: months. What the heck? I don't think I made a big thing about it. I think I made jokes about it. You wouldn't talk to me. You wouldn't sign my senior yearbook. That seems ex- excessive. I guess I was, I was resentful. You,
1: you stayed mad at me. On, you, you were mad at me for like at least six months or a year. That sounds... You wouldn't talk to me for the last six months of college.
0: High school. That,
1: high school. Yeah. That, that, that hurt a little bit. I remember that she wrote something in my yearbook about, like, I'm sorry, Dave's not signing this, blah, blah, blah. Like, like, uh, so stupid. Know.
0: So funny. Yeah. So funny. And then... So funny... Because she lived in Queens, me and her didn't have. We had like a like a we had a relationship the way. Well, we were in high school, but we had a relationship like she was very catty, right? She was like, and and I don't know. It just we like I don't think we even got along. We dated a long time, and I don't think we got along while we dated. But that was just the nature of the relationship, I guess. She lived in Queens. I lived in Chelsea. Never meant to be. And then senior year, they'd broken up. And I you was single, swooped in, and she
1: lived in my neighborhood, and uh, we did it for the last six months of
0: of, uh, of uh, high school. In a Demone-esque conquest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and then, like in college, I would see you here and there. When did it get to the? When did we get to the point? Like, how did it happen that I hooked you up with that guy, Todd? Like I met that guy, Todd, at Wetlands, not my friend Todd, the drug dealer, Todd, oh yes, I met that guy at Wetlands and he worked at upstairs at Sam Ash in the cable department. Did you go see him at the cable department?
1: I met him there at least once, but that wasn't where I met him when once we were doing deals.
0: but how did it happen? like I guess we were just we just became friends again, and then I was like, I know this hippie guy who has drugs, like how did that happen I think you
1: I think you might have brought me there to meet him the first time or we met him out. For, I feel like he didn't want people coming in the store to, to buy things.
0: He to had good. He had good. I think that's what it was. I had like I yeah. had become a much harder drug user in college, you know, and I'd become much more seasoned about using drugs in college. And um, and I first, did I ever did you ever meet Pete Knighty at the Meadow, that crazy old guy? He would wear, like, a Krishna tank top, and he would yell at you if you didn't hand him money wrapped in brown paper brown paper envelopes. He was, like, the most classic New York City weed dealer. The fact that you didn't meet him is a sad thing. He was, like, this nerd from the Upper West Side, and he would come to the meadow every day, and he would eat, like, gluten-free bread and <laughs> fucking, like, weird Mac macrobiotic kid. shit. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd be, like... he He was really nerdy and really thin, and his... But he was fit, and, like, he he was really snobby. And he'd be like, well, I got this hydroponic bud, and I, and if you meet him, the only way he would take your money is if you wrapped it in brown paper and slid it to him. And he would wrap all of his nuggets. He grew nuggets on the Upper West Side, these beautiful nuggets. And he would give it to you wrapped in cellophane, like a big... Like, that's how he would wrap up his bud, he would wrap it in cellophane. It would be big, and you'd you know, you'd smell it. And, uh, and then he got nervous about the meadow, so he, he would have a route on the Upper West Side where he would meet like 20 people between 101st Street, where he lived, and 86th Street. He'd be like, meet me on the corner of 82nd and Broadway on the Southwest corner. And if you gave him the money wrapped in anything besides brown paper, he would freak out. Like, if you gave it to him, wrapped in a blue paper, he would be like, he would be like, what is this? And he would get really angry at you if you didn't follow procedure. We but you, now you're talking about the Giuliani era, huh? Yeah, we wound up so robbing him. Yeah, so the
1: him. meadow was no good anymore right. once it was the Giuliani era.
0: Um, you
1: wound up robbing him? We wound up robbing old him. We the hippie?
0: We, ran, we robbed fucking him. fucking junkie, scumbag. We, we went, I sent, it's one of my favorite stories. And I've, we've told, we've told this story on Dopey, so if you've heard this story, I just think you'll think this is funny. I was full on junkie uh, working at Burly Bear. And remember Ryan, my roommate from college, he's a very like odd kid. And, um, and Ryan was staying at my house and, um, and I was buying bud for all the guys at Burly Bear from Pete Knighty and I would rip them off. I'd get a great deal from Pete Knighty. I'd buy like $400 at a time and I would get like $800 and I would keep the money for dope and I'd give out the bud and I'd get bud. And, um, and eventually, I think I got fired. I think like things had gotten to the bad place. And I, and I gave Ryan the number. And I said, call him and tell him you need to get whatever. You know what I mean? Like a half ounce or something. And he met with Ryan. And Ryan gave him the brown paper. And nothing was wrapped in the brown paper. And he got the bud. And then me and Ryan... Ryan came home, we had the butt, whatever. Then me and Ryan went on a Ryan were going on a shoot, a video shoot, and I sent Ryan up to Burley Bear to get the gear. And he gets on the train and Pete Knighty's on the train and he goes, you <laughs> and he sees Ryan and he comes after Ryan on the on the C train and he starts punching Ryan and Ryan's holding all this gear. He's got the the oh, Camera gear. Camera gear, like the fucking, the the briefcase with the Panasonic three-chip camera, and he's got a a boom pole in his hand, and he's like, leave me alone, and he he pushes Pete Pete Knighty against the side of the train with the boom stand, and the cops come, and they arrest Pete Knighty for attacking Ryan. And it's like, why is this? I just think it's the funniest thing. I, I mean, you're looking at me with this terrible look like I've done something wrong. I think Pete Knighty's dead. He ripped off a lot of people. He, he really overcharged. He was very rude. We shouldn't have done it. Pete Knighty, if you're listening, I, I'm sorry. I was, I was hoping you
1: were going to say that Pete Knighty got away with like a microphone that was worth a thousand bucks.
0: No, Pete Knighty got away. He got arrested for attacking Ryan on the train. You're looking at me disgusted with me. But this is the kind of story that I like.
1: It's an interesting story, but it's a sad story when the old hippie pot dealer gets ripped off by the junkies. Yeah, you know. That you got you've got you're working off karma, Dave, but that's one thing that you just told me in particular that you've got some
0: What about you, you and Karina? God. What are you going to work off that karma? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um so uh
1: I didn't do anything bad to her.
0: I no, to me, what about the karma, the karma there? Maybe that was it doesn't matter. Fucking so I met this other weed dealer named Todd, and I don't know how it happened that we found out that Todd sold mushrooms super cheap. They weren't even that cheap. Well, they, were, they were cheap, yeah. Dude, you were buying like 100 pounds at a time. No, I was buying pounds at a time. I remember like in my imagining, there was <laughs> like a line of pounds of mushrooms from here to there. Like, and you were, like, loaded up your station wagon with pounds. Is that not how it went down? There were probably times that there were
1: two pounds. That was it?
0: End. There was never more than that? No. All right. So, so and, uh, and you would travel around selling ounces of mushrooms or pounds of mushrooms? I didn't
1: travel around selling them. Just while I was in college, my senior year, I had them for sale. And then after college, I still had them for sale.
0: And how did it happen that you, me, and Devin went to Woodstock? We went to... Devin didn't come. Yes, he did. What was he doing the whole time? Was he asleep? You wound up sleeping in the car, and me and Devin wound up wandering into the woods and sleeping under some tree and near this hippie brothel (laughs) called the Dew Drop Inn. It was crazy.
1: I remember walking around through the woods, but...
0: You went back to the car, and you slept slept in your car. car. I slept under a tree. It was the only time I've ever slept outside, and I slept under a tree... In Woodstock. But how did it even happen that we did that?
1: We, uh, well, do you know what year that was?
0: I want to say it was uh, 96. Yes, it had to be 96
1: because it was my super, it was before, the year before my super, my super senior year. What year did they have, you know, I was telling this story to my girlfriend the other day, and I was like, what year did the second Woodstock happen? Was it 94? I think it was 94 was when they tried to have the,
0: well, if, if Woodstock was the... I bet 67. you it was 94 that we went. Wouldn't that make more sense? No, it had to be 90, it, 96. Is, is. It was no... You know. like I don't remember a band you guys playing.
1: Because you guys had finished college, and Devin was home living at home, and I was, still had one more semester of college, and I had an apartment in upstate New York near my college. And then, I don't know who it was that knew. Maybe I'd heard, and you guys had heard, that at Yasker's Farm in Bethel, New York, which is where the original Woodstock was, they were having a they were having a concert.
0: Do you remember seeing a band there?
1: There were bands playing all night. In fact, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I was like still tripping, and there was like some old hippie dude with a guitar, <laughs> and there was like nobody paying attention, and they had a pretty big, like the field in front of the place, a few thousand people could yeah. stand there. No, yeah. it was in the middle of the night at that time. Finally, at five a.m., it was like empty, and it was like nobody wants to watch hippie music at five a.m.
0: I'm sure lots of people do, just not that summer and. 1996. Or not
1: that old hippie guy. Like, maybe if you... Because the the festival also, it went on for like a week or two weeks or something. We were just there for one night out of this thing.
0: I remember, though, we got there and there was no reason... There was no act that we wanted to see. We just wanted to, like, go up there and we had mushrooms. So I guess we just went up there to trip mushrooms. We
1: went up there to see Yasker's Farm. Right. And I particularly... I I remember that I I particularly was like, I fucking hate hippie music because I, to this day, can't stand the Grateful Dead or, like like, folk music or much of anything with acoustic guitars. And, um...
0: But Dad don't have that. Anyway,
1: continue. And, but we went there. I was like, yeah, sure, let's go check this out. And, like, I remember that I actually did not come to the city to meet you guys. I drove from upstate to Connecticut. No, we, you, Connecticut. we, we
0: drove... We're, oh, you met us there. I picked
1: you guys up at Devin's house, parents' house in, in suburban Connecticut, the only time I was ever there. And maybe I drove you guys back to the city afterwards or something like that. Who knows? But I know that my, st- my trip either started or ended in upstate New York... Then it was
0: Connecticut, the concert city. Or I just remember we get there, and I don't know why we decided. I don't remember having how we had a pot. Like how do we have a pot? Did you have a pot in your car? Because we I, could, I think we, just- we were like we're gonna have to camp. Better bring some supplies. Right, right. So I,
1: I brought like a sleeping bag, and I was like, oh, I'll bring some can. I'll bring this canned
0: chili that I have. And, and uh, an issue of the Village Voice. And I had a bunch of issues of the Village Voice. And we decided that we were going to cook the mushrooms in a stew, in a, or the chili, yeah. and fucking... Um, and we cooked it in a pot over a... We didn't have any wood. We just burnt one Village Voice. <laughs> but I think we must have eaten a lot of a, mushrooms. I think we
1: had a bunch of stacks of villi- of the Village... We had a bunch of Village Voice because when the Village Voice had just become free... Something about the concert tickets to NYU is I remember not having a dollar to buy the Village Voice at the little newsstand on Madison Avenue down the block from our high school and trying to read the Village Voice concert ads as quickly as possible, leaf through it, before the owner of
0: the place would get mad and be like, you have to buy one dollar. That was the best, though. When you, I, would get, I, would, I could barely read the articles in the Village Voice, but I would get it every week just to see who was playing and to see our band, like our band in the back. like That would just make me feel good. But... Cooking the mushroom chili over the village voice. Over
1: burning village voice in the woods because we didn't know how to start a fire with kindling.
0: That was a highlight of my, of my childhood, though, or of my adolescence. And then... <laughs> it it was totally was. And then um, I feel like we would see each other here and there. And Oh, and by the way, then we proceeded to have a good trip. We wandered around through the woods. We had a lot of fun. I remember that
1: I gave a lot of mushrooms away to hippies who were like, look at these city guys... Who got mushrooms? They want to sell them. They're tripping. Like, we could just use our hippie, like, Jedi mind tricks to get them to give us the mushrooms. And I think I wound up, like, being mad at you that we went up there with, like, $200 worth of mushrooms and we came back with, like, 25 bucks. But we had a great time. Oh, so the idea mad was mad.
0: probably to sell mushrooms. The idea was to sell that was mushrooms. That was the idea.
1: Bring the mushrooms to the hippies. Right. Fortunately, I didn't sell, like, the whole pound of mushrooms or anything. I didn't give away the whole pound of mushrooms. It's to hard
0: them. to sell drugs when you're tripping, though. It's, that's a hard, it's hard to take money when you're tripping. If you weren't tripping, you would have made a lot of money at that thing. It's hard Probably. to make money when you're you tripping. You been mercenary
1: about it. But I remember people, be, people being like, oh,
0: can I just get one, just one, one cap? Yeah. But one then you also like have to take tripping and you have money and putting it in your pocket. It's like a weird thing to take money when you're tripping.
1: Well, you start to realize the artificiality of money which is something that's good about psychedelics.
0: And the transactions, like, are freaky when you're on... Th- All of the relationships are so weird to sell something when you're tripping. Like, the the dynamic is off, you know? Because if you're not tripping, you're, like, trying to make money. You know what I mean? You are, uh, in the. you're, like, thinking about your profit. You're thinking about, am I going to make this sale, whatever? And when you're tripping, it's like, I don't really feel right about charging this money to this guy, and I want to just be loving and whatever. No, I, dude, I. It's yeah. like you worry about about dopey being anti drug, and obviously, or you know, you were, like when before John came on, he was like, I want to tell some good stories about drugs, and I mean, like psychedelics are great unless you take too many and lose your mind, you know. Um, and then I think, like, I think we drifted apart. And I started working in T V and you were up in Bard and stuff and doing whatever. And um
1: there wasn't even any long drifting apart. Maybe we didn't speak for a year at some point or something. But no, I think we were always because I stopped at purchase to to uh sell weed to you guys at some point or did or to sell you, get maybe even to drop off mushrooms with you guys that I'd gotten from Todd. That sounds right. Who you'd, right. int- yeah. you'd introduced me to. Yeah. And I remember that at some point, at one point going up to purchase, and you guys were like, so out of it. And I was like, what's the matter? Like, you guys are just stoned and tired. And then I think you wouldn't tell me, but I think that Z was like, oh, yeah, we did a little bit of dope or something. And I was like, oh, heroin, man, that's whack.
0: But I think that only happened the one time um and in purchase and then like it it start- well, there was a
1: lot of that at purchase which it yeah. wasn't at my school
0: it's, it seems weird because they seem like such similar schools um to me but uh there, there there it was there at my
1: school and i did like pills
0: what were you taking
1: i don't remember when i was taking anything regularly in college but i do remember that that same big sister of mine who looked out for me actually had percadan not Percocet, but percadan which i haven't seen since 1989 or whatever it was when she'd had her when she'd had dental surgery and she was like oh try one of these and like so 14 or 15 year old me who's smoked weed and drank before tries this and is like this is the best thing ever and i don't think i tried another painkiller for years but i uh i um yeah do you remember
0: a once in a while so you don't you, you don't want to say that you're got, still got, taking got, pills occasionally. I got
1: I got in Costa Rica not this winter but last winter I got 20 Tylenol with codeines because they're over the counter there and I still have like 8 of them.
0: You me go and home and ha- ta- after this you're going to take all of them. Half of them
1: I've taken for pain, half of them I have taken for for recreational purposes.
0: I don't think but I for some reason I don't remember you being around during the Burly Bear period.
1: Well, you, the Burly
0: Bear period. Oh, that's right. You
1: hired me for MTV. Not yeah, Burly Bear.
0: exactly. I was
1: on the, I was around maybe at the late end of the Burly Bear period. Yeah, we went, we went our separate ways. But the funny thing is, is what seems to you like we went our separate ways for a few years was actually like a year.
0: No, but it's not even like that. It's more like when I'm doing the... the I don't remember us drifting apart or whatever. I just remember, like, the jobs for Burly Bear. It strikes me as weird that you weren't on them, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but I do know that in that period, I became totally uh, strung out on heroin, like totally, totally addicted to heroin in that period. And then I got fired from my job, and I got the job... Hold on. did you Did you shoot... No, the shit we I, shot I shot stuff for the MTV show. Right, that was at the Meadow. The stuff we shot at the Meadow was for the MTV2 show. It wasn't for the Burly Bear show. Um, and I think I might have sought some stuff for, for Did Burley you Bear. come to the thing? Do you remember when I had the,
1: the way, when gold, I, gold Teleproductions.
0: Well, that's my favorite story of all. You got me
1: you got me those gigs which were I did for a couple like you only did it for a little while. I did it for a couple of years.
0: I did it for like a year and that's what got me to Burly Bear. And then um, then I became a heroin addict at Burley Bear because I was making so much money and feeling so good about myself. And I gave John my, my gold teleproductions gig and, and tell how that shit ended.
1: Well, that was, it seemed like a great gig, pa for 150 bucks a day and making overtime. But it was this guy who basically owned two cameras, uh, two or three beta cam cameras, which were professional at this standard in the late 90s, and he would rent them out. He'd organize crews for different shows that were doing remote. So it would be like the Chris Rock show or the Howard Stern cable TV show. They would shoot Union in their studios. But I remember like the funniest thing I ever did was going with the Howard Stern show to Scores. And they were shooting with strippers or just... Chris Rock was more, was the most fun because he would actually like be friendly to everybody, including the PA. When I shot on the Chris but, Rock
0: show, he wasn't. And they took us out to Sylvia's in Harlem to eat, and he sat by himself. And I sat with his brother. And like he didn't talk to anybody. He even sit with his brother. I was well, like, Wow. I, I
1: never got taken out to Sylvia's at all. But I just remember that on the set I mean, I knew not to bother the guy, not to go kiss his butt, but he was relaxed enough that at least a couple times he bothered to chit-chat with me. That's nice. And he, and he seemed like a real friendly guy. And, See, uh, I, But the way that ended up was, I remember that at one point, one of the... They'd come out with DigiBeta Cam and he bought... Uh, the owner of the company had bought a second, a third camera, one of the brand new cameras. So his oldest camera was getting... Was now like almost obsolete in the market. He couldn't rent it for as much. And... Um, I would drop the truck off every day at a parking lot. I would drop the sound equipment and the camera equipment at his assistant's
0: house. In, in the Stuyvesant East, Town.
1: In, yeah, Cooperville, Peter Cooper Village. Then I would park the truck with all the cables and all the stuff. that was It was $1,000 worth of stuff there, but not tens of thousands of dollars. On 20th Street. At a parking garage on 21st Street. Yeah. And I remember that one day, I'd, and I would do it so often that the guys at the garage knew me. And I pulled up to the garage and, um, <clears throat> I was kind of in a hurry this one day. Oh, and the assistant guy was like, Mike, I'd, I'd forgotten his name. He was like, Oh, I'm not going to be home. And the truck, somebody else, another guy is working tomorrow. Is going to pick the truck up at 6am and take it to another shoot. So the gear's only going to be in the truck for less than 12 hours in the garage. We're not worried about it being in that garage. So I was like, OK, I did exactly what you told me. I pulled, but I pulled up to the garage. And I turned the engine off, but left the keys. And I w- wasn't even pulled into the garage. It was like still somewhat on the street. And I, I knew the guys from the garage. And I was like, hey, the keys are in there. And I hadn't yet taken my backpack out of the, uh, of the car. And I heard the engine start. And I turn around. And the truck is backing up out of the entrance to the garage. And goes flying down Twenty First Street. I remember running after it and seeing it go, and I was like, "Oh my god!"
0: Oh my god, that was such a crazy story.
1: And I remember that actually the guy who owned the company actually gave me two hundred bucks for the values of my for the approximate. He's the a value good guy, of, of Harvey. My bag. I remember that insurance adjusters called me and
0: asked me for all the details. And they're like, "I had a pound of mushrooms. I had two eighths of Bud." I probably had... I had a brick of hash wrapped in aluminum foil, sheet of <laughs> acid from Berkeley. No, they
1: he paid me the, the 200 bucks out of the goodness of his heart. They were asking me, so how did this camera get stolen? I right. told them, and they, I was like, stupid me. You're like, I, I have like, a I friend turned, from
0: Queens. He met me, took I the van. The,
1: I turned the engine off, but I left the keys there because I, the, I thought the guys were going to take it. But it was, I felt so guilty about the whole thing that I thought I was in trouble. But then only after, I they, remember that they asked me, do you think that blah blah blah
0: the owner of the company Harvey Harvey Gold um, I just said Harvey but continue I already said
1: Gold Teleproduction do, you, know. do you think that Harvey he, is
0: one of the best people in the world by do the way. Do you
1: think that he may have orchestrated this this um theft?
0: And you're like now and that I, I remember, now that I think about it he was a shifty kind that, of I had
1: absolutely no reason to think that. I had no reason to suspect that. But now that you now that you remind me the camera we were using is one he uh um, is
0: I can't believe you're selling Harvey down the river on dope.
1: Is one that was becoming defunct, and its value was nil. So I suppose it's not impossible. Was what I said. Wow, insurance. why would you so say
0: that after he gives you a job and takes care of you? I think you've got some karmic to burn off, karmic energy to burn off.
1: Maybe, but I doubt they ever came after him. Is that's certainly proof of nothing?
0: I used to do but, that job. Okay, yeah. I would go to that job, and I had the same job. I gave, that was my job, the yeah. job he you described, gave me the job. And, yeah. uh, and I remember the first day. Mike, I I go to get the van, and I like could barely drive. And I go to pick up Mike, and he sits down in the passenger seat, and he turn he turns on Howard Stern. And I had never listened to Howard Stern. I was like, Oh my! I was like, What is this? And he rolls fat joint. He probably rolled five joints, and we proceeded to get as wasted as we could before the gig. And it was like a real gig. And I was like, What the fuck? How is this the way the professional television world works? And I, I smoked so much pot with him. Mike, did you smoke a lot of weed with Mike or no? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was a beautiful time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I those gigs were a lot of fun. And I, 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 you know, and actually, let me just say that
1: after I went up to Harvey's place to drop off, after the theft, the theft happened, Harvey said, please come up to my place. The van needs a servicing. So bring, they bought another, the van was found a few days later and it was trashed. He was like, drive it to my place in Westchester, and drop it off the mechanic, and I'll come pick you up. And he took me to his ridiculously fancy house in South Salem, that was like a mansion. And I was like, wow, I figured the guy who owned this company's wealthy, but I didn't know he's—it's old money because this house has obviously like been in his family for a million years. It was you know like ten bedroom house or more, and he was like, uh, he was like, um, I'm sorry, this happened to you, and. Um, I don't remember it was after I'd been... He was like, you're going to get a call from insurance investigators. And I was like, okay. And then, he, and then he used me one more time. And there was another company who were in the West Village who I who used to uh, share equipment with. And Dan, I was, Dan Levy. Yep. We went to get equipment from that guy. I went by myself. And um, he wouldn't give me the equipment. And there was another PA who was working with us that day who was, like, up at the location, he had to come down to the location to the place where the Levy pickup was because this guy was like, I'm not giving a... No, it was Dan Cohen. Whatever his name was. Yeah, sorry. He was bald guy.
0: Yeah, I worked like, with him forever. He yeah. was like,
1: Harvey needs to always have two people in the vehicle because everybody's like... And I remember him being like, you're never going to work in New York City again. And I was like...
0: <gasps> That's what Dan said?
1: Yeah, and he was like... And, he, he, and he, he had a point that Harvey should have had two people driving. Two, you're going to have kids straight out of college, PAs, driving around with $100,000 worth of equipment. You ought to have two of them in the vehicle at all times. But this guy wouldn't give me the equipment. So after that, so the guy came from the location down there in order to be allowed to pick up the equipment from, fourth, from where 4th Street and 11th Street meets, from where West 4th Street and West 11th Street meet. which I remember where they, where they were uh, approximately. Um, but then he never used me again. And I, he like just stopped returning my calls. And I don't remember if that was before or after I got the call from the insurance adjuster, but I just the insurance adjuster more like blew my mind saying, like, do you think? And I was like, well, I guess it's not impossible.
0: How dare you?
1: So whether, I didn't rat him out because of what happened, but and I didn't rat him out, and I don't think he ever went to jail because...
0: Of course, I'm sure the thing got stolen.
1: The thing got stolen, but the question is, did... Was it really? Was it the cat? Was the guys who worked in the garage noticed all this camera equipment every day, and they told one of their thief friends, "Hey, hang out outside the place." Right. Or was it? Was it that the guy who owned the equipment was like, I, "I've got this camera."
0: No way. That's not. My guys going to be
1: pulling up to the garage. It would never happen around five or six o'clock today. I can't
0: believe this is this is your theory. After Harvey gives you 200 bucks, takes care of you, might get you stoned every day of your career. Well, we'll never know unless he hears this show and he... uh... Harvey is a dopey listener. He might come after you for this. He isn't really a dopey listener. Um, But Harvey Harvey has been an incredibly... uh, He's always been very kind to me, and I love him. And I don't think it's in his character to have done that. I just don't. Uh, I don't think that's how he works. But... um, it was
1: definitely a setup. It was, probably the, it was probably the parking lot guys were like, there's a van that comes every day full of film equipment and parks.
0: It's just like, in my lifetime of being a New Yorker, I never saw a car get stolen. Like, I just never saw that. It seems like that's like a movie scene, like where somebody jumps in the van and drives away, but like, you never see that happen, and it happened to you. It's like... It's wild. Well, my parents car got broken into in Queens all the time. You used time to break into cars. I you were broke the, into cars. you were the you were the you him and Robbie would go, go on, on Riverside Drive and bl- break into there cars. And what time. about I mean, Where you and where's the karmic burn off from this? Oh,
1: I got plenty of bad karma and I've got arthritis to this day since I'm 40. <laughs> did you, you break the
0: windows or did you or there were windows that were open? How did you break into the cars? I don't remember. You and Robbie. We, bro- we broke
1: some glass. It was, ba- oh, it was terrible. And this was the kind of thing we were doing just to be badass. We weren't poor.
0: You, like, took change. <laughs> you, like, take change out of the We thing. took change. We took what the
1: junkies took. We yeah. took change and, tapes. and blank tapes. Yeah. Corded over the blank tapes. The junkies would just sell the blank tapes right. on St. Mark's Place and right. pocket the change. Right. right. And that was one time being bad just for the purpose of being bad. That's the kind of thing I do look back on. And I'm like, what was the matter with me?
0: Well, it was you. It was you were trying to impress Robbie, and Robbie was very impressed. That's the thing. Now, around the, the, the gold caper, whatever, that's when I was, became a heroin addict. You know, I was becoming a heroin addict and I had gotten fired from my job and I had gotten the job at MTV2, mm-hmm. which was a great gig. You're already talking, you're jumping ahead like nearly five years in time. Man, what happened in that time? Yeah. You, you got. You any-
1: worked for Burley Bear, I got into theatrical lighting, I worked at our old high school.
0: Oh, yeah. You became the AV teacher.
1: I started working at our high school for two years, and then it was only uh, during that time, after September 11th, when I was dating this chick who was into dope, and New York City's streets were flooded with cheap dope because the Taliban went back to growing dope, which they had stopped doing uh, because of an agreement they had with the U.S. government because the U.S. was supporting the Mujahideen, but then once the Taliban-slash-Mujahideen had... Once the U.S. started bombing Afghanistan, they were like, fuck this, we're going to sell dope again. And it was like, there were newspaper articles everywhere. You know, like heroin...
0: Cheap heroin, heroin deaths, available in Bushwick.
1: Heroin deaths, you know, like quintuple across the United States less than, you know, three months after 9-11. That happened. And, it, and, and dope was really cheap, and it was fucking everywhere. And I was like... And I never got strung out.
0: Where were you, what, what did you, what, where were you at
1: 9-11? I was at our old high school. I was working.
0: And so what, when was the first time you did heroin then? Um, like a week after that. The, probably the following weekend. And I was already addicted to heroin at that point. I don't know. I don't remember. I think I just told you. I think I just told you I was using the whole time.
1: I think I knew it or I, maybe I just heard it. I had right. seen you in a minute. But then me and this girl I was dating were doing dope somewhat regularly. But even but still, even she never got strung out. Like I, It was always, for me, it was like a a weekend thing. And I had like a no two weekends in a row rule. And I think I've probably done heroin in my life like no more than 50 times. I
0: had a rule like that too.
1: Unfortunately, you know, like I... And I haven't done heroin since... Since... Yeah, 07 at the latest. But... Um, and, uh, and that turned into smoking crack, too, which I hated Coke. I never tried Coke till I was 21, even though I did everything else. And when I tried it, I was like, this is terrible. I like downers. It I feel nervous, like, and I can't
0: sleep. I feel but like then you I and tried I, crack.
1: you liked it. Then I tried crack, and I was like, the problem with Coke was that it keeps you up all night. The great thing about crack is that it's over quick. That's the thing that supposedly made people run out and sell their cars and, like, like bought to buy more. I was always like,
0: this is great. You could
1: do it twice in one night. And then you still go to bed like an hour. You only spend
0: ten bucks, (laughs) whatever, and
1: that was all. And I probably did that no more than fifty times ever.
0: I think it's you and I have similar brain chemistry because, like, I I smoked crack a handful of times and I did coke a handful of times, and or I did coke a lot, but I never really liked it. I just did coke because I like did it because I wanted to get high.
1: Well, yeah, it helped. It helped you deal with not having heroin, right? Well, some junkies, junkies will be like, the the crack doesn't help me with my actual opiate sickness. But it helps with the brain chemical rush.
0: It was for the me... The dopamine
1: rush and all that, it helps with that.
0: With Coke, I did it because my friends were doing it when I did it. I never liked it. When it was done, I was always happy to come down. I was happy to smoke a shitload of weed or take pills or whatever. Uh, when I was shooting, I was shooting Coke when I would run out of dope because I would want to shoot something and I had Coke. You know what I mean? But I like the MTV2 story. Um, I, you told this to me the other day. Would you tell the MTV2 story from your perspective? I think that's a funny story. Oh, yeah. So Dave,
1: Dave uh, pays me. I had a, I had a, a mini DV cam, so it's a, a, a good prosumer uh, digital video camera at that time. And this has to be, I'm going to guess this is 03. It uh, could have been 02.
0: It was 02 or 03. Yeah, it was right there. Yeah, that he, was when I left New York.
1: And he says, uh, and I was like very into punk rock and hip hop in a way that, and I still am. like People talk about new bands, and I don't know what they're talking about. I'm like, I'm trapped in 1999. So here we are in 02, and I've heard of Coldplay, but I don't really know who the fuck they are. And he's like, hey, so we have to go interview. We didn't interview Coldplay, did we? We, we did. did. We did interview Coldplay and the opening band, the Verve Pipe.
0: Yeah, we in- I interviewed both of them.
1: Yeah, so he was like, let's go. We're going to Jones. I don't State.
0: remember interviewing the Verve Pipe at all. Zero. But continue.
1: I think we went out there. To- we were only guaranteed the Verve Pipe. And you managed to talk your way into getting Coldplay also. So you were like, all right, we, you know, that was like the big score for your interview was, we, but we only had an arrangement that we were going to interview the Verve Pipe. So we went out there and, uh, so and I had a car and Dave didn't have a car. So we drive out to, and I always wondered why doesn't Dave get like a real budget? Why is he paying me like out of the expense money budget? Why aren't we renting a vehicle and getting a real sound man? Why is Dave holding the boom and I'm doing the sound mixing on the camera inputs? But
0: I think the reason was because I didn't want to deal with that. The reason was because I was a junkie and high, and I, I only wanted to make things happen as quick as possible. And I also wanted to have as much fun as possible. I wanted to do it with my friends. I didn't want anyone to look at me funny. You know what I mean? I didn't want a professional to look at me funny. I wanted you or the DK to be hanging out and be like, this is cool. And
1: smoke a joint in <laughs> yeah, the car. Exactly. The yeah, there. exactly. That's yeah. how I
0: wanted to do it. Yeah. And as well as you were,
1: oh, you were coming from Burley Bear where everything was super low budget, Right, I so was then, used to it. Even though now you could have a $10,000 sound man, you were like...
0: I don't think they I gave me a, much of a budget for MTV2. I don't think <laughs> I had a budget. I didn't. If I, if I had a budget, I would have used it. <laughs> I wasn't, like, pocketing the budget. They, like, didn't have a budget, but... And and I, I forget but we didn't have. We were in the MTV office. But I think, I think you I got the money. Building and we
1: the we building, we had, we had and we had a light. We were shooting, trying to shoot some insert shots, and we, I had, like, a light like a theatrical, like a, a, a video light, but I didn't have a tripod with me. So you put it on top of the television that you had in your office and it actually melted the plastic top of the television. That sounds right. And it like fell into the television and there were like sparks. <laughs> and you were like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. And people outside your office smelled like smoke. and They were like, <laughs> but it wasn't like, we were not doing drugs. It was not weed. It was not cigarettes. They were like smoke, smoke, because we had melted the top of a television. And I remember that you were like, oh, my God, because your coworkers, even the young ones who seemed cool, were like, what are you guys doing in there? You were like, we were doing a couple of shots, fill-in shots. And we had this light. We didn't have a tripod. And they were like, why don't you talk to the studio guys downstairs about a light? Why are you using a light with no tripod and putting it on the TV? Now you've damaged the, like, facilities. The television belongs to facilities. And you were like, no, I'm in trouble. I don't know if that ever got you in trouble or not. But on the way out, so we go out to... Jones Beach Theater which I've heard to this day does not sell alcohol Um, because it's known as a theater that you have to drive really far to get to which is true. So you can't buy alcohol there. So we got there. We do this interview with the Verify They sell alcohol now. We
0: saw The Who there last summer. They totally sell alcohol. But anyway, continue.
1: Well anyway, back then in 2000 whatever they didn't and I was like Okay, so now we're gonna like see this rock show. They like
0: gave us steak. They I remember they had Filet Mignon set up and they were like, You guys want some steak? They gave us food. Maybe they didn't drink either the band. Yeah, I think that might have been. Those
1: guys were sober guys. And
0: they were like, You wanna play basketball? They like had a hoop set up and like and I was like I was like, I gotta get out of here. I
1: remember like these rock stars are so cool. They were nice guys. I don't even know what their music sounds like, but I know they're huge. And I'd like to stay and see this concert. And if they suck, we don't stick around. But I was like, but if we're going to hang out and watch a concert, I really want to drink a beer. So I'd, in my head, after we were done with the interviews, since we couldn't get any booze at this, we were going to drive. It was actually really far to get from Jones Beach, nearest town, to find a gas station. But I was going to drive 10 minutes or 20 minutes to go get a beer. And we were going to come back. We were going to smoke weed and watch Coldplay and the Verve Pipe. And if they sucked, we wouldn't stay. But... We're done with the interviews and they're like offering us food and we eat a little bit of food. And Dave's like, come on now. I'm like, well, we're going to we're going to stay and watch Coldplay. We're going to go. I was like, maybe we're going to go to the gas station. And you were like, no, I have to get back. I have to be in in Bushwick in 45 minutes. And I was like, dude, no, I was like, I'm going to go to the gas station. I'm going to drop you at the Long Island Railroad station and you're going to take the Long Island Railroad back to Brooklyn and you can meet your man because I'm sick of your junkie bullshit. I was, like, starting to get sick of your shit at this point. But you were the one who was paying me, and you were like, I'm not going to pay you if you don't drive me to Montrose and Morgan. That was the spot, though. And I was like, fuck. Fuck. Like, I hate you. Like, and I did. And you were like, you want some dope? And I was like, no, fuck you. And I, like, dropped you off, and you were like, Drive me back to the city, and I was like, no. And I like drove home to Queens. I I, I live. I still live in Queens, but not in. You, Queens, are angry.
0: you
1: were angry. I went back to my neighborhood and was like, fucking junkie.
0: Well, I feel like uh, that was was that before or after the professor debacle, or was around the time?
1: Probably before. I feel like when, it might have been when after were you hanging out
0: because I wasn't copping in Brooklyn when I was. Because why would I cop in Brooklyn if I was friends with the professor down here? I think it was. It was right around the same time. It was right around the same time. And um, I'm, and everyone who's ever heard me talk about the professor, there was this old man, and he just showed up at my He had the same heroin dealer that I had, this guy who called himself Tony Baloney, And Tony Bologna got kicked out of his apartment, and him and his girlfriend moved into my studio apartment on 24th Street, like, for a week or something. So all of the professor's heroin customers would come... I'm sorry, all of Tony Baloney's heroin customers would come to my studio apartment on 24th Street to buy heroin, and I let them live there because he would give me free heroin. And an old man comes, and it's the professor, and that's how I met him. And he sees I have this bag of uh, cameras, old metal uh SLR cameras, and he's like, oh, he's like, those cameras look interesting. And he's like, you wouldn't want to trade them for pills, would you? And I was like, "Yes, I would like to trade them for pills." And he gives me like a hundred Xanax for like five metal body cameras that my cousin had given me. So like, and I just gave him like to old a SLRs. Yeah, and um, so he took them. He went home, and me and him became like friends. And I started hanging out with him every day, and his wife, who were like another proto hippie couple. I remember I would hang out with them, and I would I would do dope with them. And um, they had this huge loft on. Mercer Street or Green Street—I don't—I don't remember. Somewhere around there, and uh, and I remember they had a a bedroom in their loft that was made from Japanese screens in the corner, and uh, and and I would hang out with his wife, who was this old lady with really long, gray white hair.
1: And what's, what's funny is the thing—the fact is, at that time she was only slightly older than we are now.
0: Right. So, um, she would be watching black and white movies on Channel Eleven. In there, and I would be sitting there i can even i can i can 't remember anything, but I remember that very well and she was like drinking wine and, and I would be doing dope and then I remember there was a fan going in the corner and uh, and it didn 't have the the cover on it, and her hair <laughs> Went into the fan, and she goes, my hair is caught in the fan. And she sounded exactly like Nancy, like Jim's mom. She's like, my hair's in the, and she's like cutting her hair (laughs) out of the fucking fan. It was the, that was like the funniest thing I ever saw. Anyway, and then, (laughs) and then one day, um, I I mean, I got arrested once, copping heroin in Barnes and Nobles, and I went to jail, and I got out sick, and I called them, and they're like, just come over, and they gave me dope, and like, I would just hang out with them, I would go cop dope with the with the professor all the time. And one day I'm leaving, I'm about to leave, and their son comes in, and it happened to be that their son was like John's best friend. And I knew him. I went to high school with him.
1: Crazy. Yeah, he was a couple years older than us. And uh, we all knew that his parents were... uh, We thought that his mother was an alcoholic. We didn't know that there was dope going on. And he... Well, he... He knew that his father used to use, but he didn't know that his father was back to it. Or if he did, he didn't want to talk about it to his, uh, his friends who also knew his father, like me.
0: But it was well, a crazy moment. And I think I told you. I think I called you immediately. You know what I mean? You were like, oh, shit. But And then the last time I saw you, um, the last time I saw you, I was going. I had to go to treatment in Florida, and I called you up and I said, uh, "I said, do you have any weed?" And you were like, "Yeah." And I said, "Do you want to trade your weed for a bunch of clonopin?" Because I had a script for clonopin, and I was going to treatment. But I, I don't know why I wanted to bring weed to treatment and not clonopin to treatment. And you gave me like, I don't know, like, I feel like it was like three ounces of bud or something. And I gave you all the pills I had. It was, it was not. It was like a lot of bud. It's like a thing. And I put it in my uh, in my in my pillow or my blanket, and I smoked joints in the detox of your bud, uh, and then they caught me and they found the bud in my bed, and they were gonna send me home. Well,
1: they but, probably would have noticed the were they piss testing you or
0: whatever. No, but the weed would be in my system for a month yeah, or something. So with the clonopin. And, um,
1: and I had a clonopin prescription, so why the? But hell I did think I it want? was
0: pre it was pre your clonopin prescription.
1: And I was not, you know, I never abused the pills I took. But, you know, it was just I knew enough people who wanted to buy them. Because I had a prescription, people knew that I had pills. But then sometimes I would
0: sell the pills and be like, oh, no, I need some pills now. So and, um, yeah. what was the worst you think your using or drinking ever was? Um, what are the worst things
1: that ever happened to me? There was never any terrible, there was never any Thing That I did that I lost a job There was never any There were some things that happened where I almost died That I could have died Not from the drugs themselves But I fractured my neck riding a bicycle Drunk one time And they're like And I remember the doctors were like So when do you want to start rehab? And I was like what are you talking about? And they were like You told us you were drunk riding your bicycle And you blacked out on the bicycle And you woke up with a fractured with a extremely minor neck fracture that I had to wear the neck brace thing for ten days, and then I was fine. And I was like, "Oh fuck that, I'm fine." And the guy was like, "I highly recommend, you know, if you drink enough, that this ever happens to you." I, I just fell off my bike on the middle of an industrial street in green But you, woodland.
0: you seemed like a candidate for Alcoholics Anonymous for a, for a long time. Like you, you know. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, but I, I, it, I, I, at this point, I have seen how drugs and alcohol warp your personality in the long run, turn you into an asshole. I did fuck up relationships and friendships. Uh, a lot of times those people were also drinking too much and stuff. And it was like, we were on a compl- toxic relationship. Course. Right. Yeah. But maybe we would have, and you know what, maybe we wouldn't have been friends in the first place if we hadn't been drinking together, you know? Um, so there's a lot to be said for, you know, uh, uh Drugs, alcohol can be uh, a catalyst for good, but they're also a catalyst for the worst, you know, for fucking
0: death. When did you feel like you had to change your habits?
1: I became aware of that in about 2014, and um, that's when I started changing my habits. I knew I haven't done any hard drugs since 2007. Um, I I knew that was... I always knew I was playing with fire with that, while it was happening. But then in 2014, um, some things were going bad personally and professionally. I was also I turned 40, and I had a I had an injury that was nothing to do it was a knee injury at work. It was nothing to do with drugs or alcohol, and like my neck fracture. And I was like, I had a little bit of a midlife early mid well, 40s when you're supposed to have a midlife crisis, right? And I was like, I got to get my act together, and I started to. I became conscious of the fact that I had finally admitted, and some people had said to me over the years, John, don't you think you need to take it a little bit easier? Don't you think, hey, look at that friend you had the fight with and doesn't talk to you anymore. Now you lost a bunch of friends. And until then, I'd be like, he's a dick. Fuck all those assholes. But then I was like, it's like 2014, and the biggest one I can think of was like 2010. I was like, wow, I really did lose a bunch of friends. And wow, now there's like, like, there's some people who are still my friends from that circle of people, but I realized that like, I don't get invited to their birthday parties anymore because they know that there's going to be five people at that birthday party who don't want to see me, and there's only one of me. So they still invite those five people, and they don't invite me. And to some extent, this is still true, as of like right this second, some of these folks. And uh, so there's some people who keeps me, keep me at arm's length. Some of them I've seen again in the more recent years, and so we're totally on good terms, or we're just Facebook friends or something like that. But I definitely some of them just also had kids, and I don't have kids. But and the that, drugs really and alcohol
0: up. fucked up your ability to not be an asshole in situations and go you because you you would get obnoxious. Like I would get obnoxious. We both would do that to people and like push them away, and and they'd be pissed. You know what and I mean? I remember, yeah. And I, I still have a bit of a hot
1: temper, but nowhere near as bad as I did even three four years ago. Because it was twenty eighteen was when I did started doing these meditation retreats, and now my and since then that my drinking really has been under control.
0: It's funny you never had a temper with me ever.
1: You know when I saw you turn into a dick junkie, when I turn you saw you be an asshole, it always actually really hurt because like I said in high school in, in the junior we went to a junior high school that was 7 through 12. You were so, such a nice guy, a guy who was funny but just like so kind hearted. And um so then when we were in our 20s and you went from being and then even when you when we were like Potheads together and I'd be hanging out And you'd be playing your acoustic guitar with some hippies At your place and I'd be like Ah I hate this shit right Like you were always just like You know uh, Such a lovable hippie dude And you were never a hardcore hippie but such Such a loving person and you still are That's why you're the host of a show And you're not just
0: some dick who goes to AA meetings And goes to your job and Hates the world um, well, of course. I mean, I, but you never, you never had your temper work against me. And I was a jerk off the way anybody who's physically addicted to heroin becomes a jerk off. I mean, there's no way, it's very hard to not become a total jerk off in that situation. You know what I mean? It's like, I think it's impossible, really, if your whole life is taken over chemically. And I think when you would drink too much, you would be a jerk off all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you're still trying to figure out how to fix these relationships.
1: I yeah I only I have one ex who won't talk to me, and uh, and uh, wh- when we went through our shit where we broke up, she did all kinds of crazy shit too. But ultimately, I said unforgivable things, and um, yeah, that's the that's actually the thing that when when and that was I guess the last time we ever spoke was two thousand nine. That was the first thing that made me be like, wow, I guess I fucked something up here. Right and. It, would, and it actually. It was not anything. I one thing I did while I was drunk. It was, but it was more like I started to realize
0: the cumulative effect.
1: Yeah, like I don't know. I've, I've got a therapist, and like I'm like, so do you think I have borderline personality disorder? And my therapist is very like no nonsense. She's like, if you are, what does it matter? Take your anxiety medication as prescribed, and don't mix it with alcohol. Take your bipolar medication so you don't get too depressed. Don't look for more labels. If you have, bi- what, what, you, do you know what uh, borderline personality disorder is? It's like people make a joke. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. You don't need to even, people make a joke that it's it's being an asshole. And if you, I don't know what the definition is, but if you looked it up right now, if you read the, the DSM definition of borderline personality disorder, it really is like being, it's, it's like all the things it lists are just things that assholes do. And I was like, wow, I do most of these things and some of them with regularity. And I'm still a bit of an obnoxious dick and I'm a little bit of, I'm a bit proud of being a a New York guy who's kind of a dick to people. Like, or I don't want to be a dick to people, but a guy who 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 is a, I make, I joke around rough but I'm not afraid to swear and stuff and that's fine. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm really glad that I hang out at a bar. I have a bar around the block from me. I've been hanging out since 2009. That is... It's not a hipster bar. It's not a neighborhood bar. Uh, It's not a, I mean, it is a neighborhood bar. It's not a dive. And it's full of folks, some of them drink a little too much. Some of them have drank too much, and now they're not drinking too much. Hardly anybody who hangs out there does drugs. People, if, like, guys are known to be bringing Coke in there, they don't, like, it's not a place. People can smoke weed out down the street from the place, but it really is a community there. And input I got from some of my friends there Helped me in some of these particular decisions And still helps me to this day And now that I actually I go there a lot less Because I used to be in there like four or five nights a week Now I go like once or twice And um, um, I think that some of the guys there Who drink too much Have, have said to me like Wow, thanks for the advice And you know, like, I've known enough drunks even at work and stuff Guys who are like Oh, I never thought about it like that Thanks, John you know?
0: Did you ever think that you might be alcoholic?
1: Well, you know, I, mean, I, th- I think until 2014, I'd said, no, 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 I'm not an alcoholic. 2014 was when I recognized an alcoholic and I needed to mellow out. But it wasn't until 2018 that I really
0: got it under control. Because, like, if you go by what it says in the book and stuff, they say that, you know, an alcoholic has a, a progressive illness that you can't get away with drinking once in a while, whatever. But there are people who are and they describe them as heavy drinkers, you know? And I, and I mean, like, an alcoholic is only self-diagnosed. You know what I mean? An alcoholic probably can't pull back the throttle and drink once a week, twice a week, whatever. An alcoholic has a progressive illness that kills them. So I don't know that you were an alcoholic.
1: Um, well, according to medical doctors, anyone who ever drinks 15 drinks in a week or five drinks in a night,
0: He's an alcoholic.
1: alcoholic. So that's like like 50% of America, practically, right there. You know? Right. Like, and so that's why I always thought I wasn't, even though I was like, well, I drink more than 15 drinks in a week. But I didn't get drunk most nights. But even at my worst, I was never a hardcore alcoholic. Right. I was never like a, like, if I woke up with a hangover and I, yeah, I got to the point where I had shivers. DTs, um, you mean. But never, never like the full-on, yeah, I, I've had shivers but that was because it was like Memorial Day weekend that I went to three parties in a row and I was like, I drank, you know, I drank a case of beer today and then I vomited. I thought that was fun. And the next day I woke up and I was like, whew, I need a screwdriver with my brunch. Not drinking today, and I really wouldn't. But I was, ne- and I, so I, I, I drank two or three drinks a day, most days. And then I would go out and get sloshed. Now it's like two or three days a week I drink, and when I have five beers or a bottle of wine once a week, I'm sloshed. And that's my fucking party. And uh, so I consider that
0: not an alcoholic. Well, if you, if you ever want to get sober, give me a call. Um, I, was, I think it was awesome that we get to go down memory lane like this. Did you have a good time?
1: Yeah. I'd love to do it again.
0: All right. Well, we say at the end of every episode, we say, "Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris." Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, John. I think you got some fucking karmic energy to burn off too. Just so we're clear, now I feel guilty about this fucking hippie, but I'm I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you owe me sixty bucks, you asshole. I, who I do? You owe me sixty bucks in two thousand three. Bullshit. Prove it. How do you? What do you I mean? I think the number of Xanax you had in that pill deal was short. <laughs> and I tried to be like, well, give me sixty dollars worth of the weed back. The last time I saw you, three years ago, even, you were like, You want me to go to the ATM and give you 60 bucks? And I was like, Yeah. And you were like, Oh, I have to get along the road and meet my wife.
0: No, it's funny because I have to go now, too. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my old friend, John. And it was cool to have him on. It was cool just to sit with him and go down memory lane. Um, I would love to know what you guys thought of it. Send me an email. Was it too self indulgent? Break it down, dopey podcast at gmail dot com. Stay strong, praying mantis level members of the dopey nation. Fucking love you guys. I really, really appreciate you uh, going above and beyond the call of duty. And fucking toodles for Chris.